how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. George Lucas and Steven Spielberg taught Dan DeLuve how visual effects light up an audience. He went to college to learn more and then got a job at DreamQuest, which included miniatures and models. In the 1990s, DeLuve worked on films like The Three Musketeers, The Rock, Deep Rising, Armageddon, Mighty Joe Young, Bicentennial Man, 102 Dalmatians, and The Skeleton Key. As visual effects started to become more of the norm, he stepped into a supervisor role for more movies like Night at the Museum, Iron Man 3, Captain America, and then the Avengers films Infinity War and Endgame. In this interview, the specialist talks about growing with the Marvel franchise and the Russo brothers, the difficulties of aging and de-aging actors, how they showcase Marvel personalities in a fight, the process from a script to final product, and the future of visual effects. If you enjoyed this interview, join thousands of viewers for the new YouTube series, also called Creative Principles, which includes video essays about films, series, and more. Grew up on Star Wars and you know Raiders of the Lost Ark, and you know something that I knew. You know, first time the Star Destroyer went over the over the screen with the following the Blockade Runner it was kind of something that I was interested in. You know, it's something that was kind of a magic that I wanted to be a part of and. You know, seeing Raiders later on, you know, it's something I think I was old enough at that point to kind of understand, you know, what, what effect the movie was having on the audience and kind of the narrative style of what was happening, you know, where it hooked you just in the beginning, you know, with, you know, shooting over Indy's back and revealing him. And, you know, I was just kind of very intrigued with movie making and, and kind of visual effects, you know, lent, lent itself to kind of the direction I wanted to go. And it was something that, you know, from, you know, from like high school uh, on, you know, making stop motion movies on Super 8 and on the 4th of July, I would build little miniatures and blow them up with firecrackers on the 4th of July over the summer. And so it was definitely something I was interested in and then, you know, studied visual effects or studied computer graphics at college and then uh, got a job at DreamQuest Images, which was a visual effects company back in the day that, you know, kind of started when it was still, we still had miniatures and we still had like, you know, had the model shop and the stages. And so I got to, you know, kind of learn from a lot of the, you know, you know, a lot of people that I had looked up to growing up um, and then, you know, kind of started going into digital and kind of worked my way up from there. So some of your early credits, like The Rock and Armageddon, Bicentennial Man, what percentage of those films, um, you know, back in the late nineties were, were actually effects versus today versus the Marvel films where it feels like there's a lot more, but from your take, what's the percentage wise in your role in that, in those two different versions? 
Sure. It's like, you know, you look back to the, to the 90s and it was, you know, if we had you know, a 200 show was like massive. It was this giant, giant show. You know, you, could, you know, how, how are we ever going to get done with that? And then you look at like the latest end game, you know, Avengers Endgame, and there was just under 2,500 shots in the movie. So it was like, you know, the, uh, the, kind of the stats for end game is that we, we did approximately 2,500 shots and there was 2,700, you know, shots in the movie, you know, we kind of count cuts. So, you know, you look at that ratio and then like in the infinity war, there's like only 80 shots we didn't touch. So, you know, you're getting up in the totals that are, you know, 95%, 98% of the movie. And then you're looking back at the rock, you know, it was something that was, you know, everything was shot more practically back then. And even at that point we had shot, you know, we would shoot, you know, miniatures, you know, when we, we had the opportunity to shoot miniatures and you'd go out and go to location, you'd shoot background plates and, you know, then comp some meter CG, CG, you know, like jets in the case of the rock comping CG jets into the film. So, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely skewed. Like back in the day, it was like, you know, give us a chance, you know, give us a chance to do something in CG. And uh, I guess, you know, they wanted to do it practically. Now it's like, you know, now it's like, well, do things practically, <laughs> things practically. So it's, it's, it's an interesting scenario. We never got the chance to, like, actually try it. And then it kind of shifted the other direction where we're kind of like, well, you probably should that practically. It might be a little better way to do it. Does it feel like you guys are all growing together? I mean, this is the first time we've seen so much, like, you know, characters – uh, moving between films where this one's Iron Man's story, but he's also in Thor's story and things like that. Obviously they're getting bigger and bigger. Do you feel like as a, you know, as a giant group, you guys are all just kind of growing as storytellers together? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's been, it's been a really great, you know, run with the Russo brothers. You know, we started on uh, Captain America Winter Soldier together and, you know, kind of, you know, they, they kind of gave me the, you know, the kind of, gave me the opportunity to kind of really contribute to that one, just in terms of what we were able to do with, you know, introducing Falcon as a character and, you know, Adele started and, you know, with the ideas, you know, kind of animation studies and, and previs, um, you know, kind of trying to understand his character and how he flew. And, you know, part of those tests were like, okay, well now let's let him attack a helicarrier and see what that looks like. And, and basically our, our animation tests, you know, what were what became shots and sequences in the movie and then, you know, with the Wooderso's, it's always the idea is, you know, the best idea wins. So we, you know, as we kind of progressed to the film, we kind of, you know, just kind of turned us loose to, you know, not only create, you know, visual effect shots, but also be in a position where you, you can kind of contribute to the story and, and, you know, kind of contribute to the, you know, somewhat to the, you know, you're definitely contributing to the action. So like with Civil War, it became something with the airport battle where, you know, it's basically the movie you know, went into the entire reel of, uh, you know, superheroes fighting each other. You know, it was kind of the, the, the nature of the film. But then getting into Infinity War, when we we got into characters with, like, Thanos and then in the endgame with, with Smart Hulk, you know, we were now able to contribute on a level where we were able to kind of realize, you know, Josh Brolin's performance and Mark Ruffalo's performance, you know, with, with the artistry and the technology, and then, you know, so you're actively, you know, taking part in the film. And with a character like Thanos, it was something that, you know, as we were, you know, we got the test done and it looked like it was something that was going to be very promising. And, you know, the, the film, you know, you know Thanos kind of, you know, based on our test, you know, everyone I think was emboldened to really kind of set the film. Basically, it's, you know, the, 
you know, the hero slash villain, you know, you know, the hero of the movie is Thanos, right? Thanos is the villain that thinks he's the hero. So it's, it's told from very much a, a Thanos-centric point of view, which was, was pretty great that we were able to be a part of that. So you worked on this this gigantic fight. I mean, really, really, these 10 movies have been building up, or these 10 years of movies have been building up to this gigantic fight in Endgame. How much conversation goes into making sure all the, the characters' personalities are expressed in the fight. So something that I notice more in Marvel movies versus DC is Marvel seems to really focus on making sure the character's personality is always on screen. Well, I think that's part of, I think, where we all click together because we're all you know fanboys to a, to, to a degree. You know, I think we all, we all love the characters, and so we're, you know, we were able to kind of design kind of the fights and, and the battle around exactly what you're you know, we're saying is like around the personalities and how they would fight. And then, you know, you, you also design it, you know, around, you know, what characters need to interact with each other. Right. So you'll have, you know, part of the part of people coming through, you know, kind of designing around cap, you know, you know it's like going into the movie. It was like, you know, cap was always going to pick up Moliere. Right. So it's like something you know, it was like, you know, one way or another, you know, I, I had failed if, if Captain pick up Molitor and, and fight Thanos in a pretty spectacular way. But, you know, it's kind of going into it and designing, too, where, you know, how the portals open, who returns with who, and, and you have, like, these little reunion moments as well. So you can kind of, you know, do some storytelling while you're kind of doing the fight and the, and the spectacle of the fight. And then knowing kind of what their what their powers are and, and you know, kind of who you're, you know, who they're fighting and how you can show off those powers, you know, when you have, you know, kind of going through the big one or and you're looking for opportunities, like I say, to have those reunions, but you're also looking for opportunities to pair characters that haven't been together before, right? Because you're always looking for that kind of, you know, the kind of that kind of magic of seeing your, you know, your favorite character with the other characters. So when you have in the winter, you have Drax and Korg and Meek, fight, Meek fighting together, you're able to kind of take the, the kind of bruiser characters, but then, you know, put them in a scene together in a pretty, pretty special way. And then having rescue spin around Iron Man at the end, you know, you're kind of reuniting, you know, you know, Pepper and Tony then together, but you're kind of bringing her in with the rescue armor that kind of, you know, kind of shows them in kind of a, in a comic book pose, but then also it's great for the characters, you know, coming together together or coming together. So what's kind of the logistic process for those unfamiliar? I know there's, I assume there's some, like, you actually write down what happens, and then there's, like, a, kind of a 2D cartoon-like animated phase. I think you've said it's pre-visual. And then eventually, like, what is the actual steps that build up to what we've all seen in the theaters now? Well, you'll have, you know, you start with the script, you know, and we'll start with, you know, we'll start with a conversation in the room with myself and the Russos, the writers and the editors, and we'll talk about, you know, what, what, story points the fight needs to accomplish, right? Because if you come into it and you're you're just designing a fight and people are just punching each other, then it gets old very quickly, right? You're gonna tune out as an audience. And so you, you need the you know, the emotional moments, you need to push the story forward. You know, you have the idea of the the MacGuffin of getting the the gauntlet back and kind of you know, how's that gonna follow through and, and take Thanos to where he needs to be at the end of it. So there's a bit of a discussion and a roadmap to begin with. And then, 
we'll do beat sheets of those and we'll kind of you know, block that out and then we'll take the beat sheet and what we do is we kind of put it together as a kind of a story reel. So we just, you know, we call, you know, kind of carding, carding it up. So basically we take the beats and we time it out fully just on text in an edit. And then from that text, then we'll work with previs and storyboard artists to kind of start realizing those different segments of the fight. And so it's, it's interesting in how we've been doing it is that when you look at, you know, kind of our story reel for the film, it's this combination of storyboards, combination of previs, which is basically, you know, a team, in our case, it was the third floor that will, we have all the digital assets, all the characters, you know, from all the films. That's what's great about being in kind of the shared universe at Marvel. If you need any character, you can just basically go on, you know, onto the file server and pull that character into a scene and then start animating with it. And so we're able to then basically start animating those characters, you know, within the set. And then depending on where we are in the process, we'll either have a, a set that was a digital set that was created by the art department that we import, or it's something that we can go ahead and if the set's standing, we can scan it and then we'll have basically a replica of what will be shot uh, down the road. And then, Kind of the third component to it is that we have um, our stunt team will start doing their own viz. So we call it, you know, we have you know, pre-viz and we have stunt viz. So they'll start choreographing the fight with the, with the, the stunt team and knowing like any kind of you know, like hand-to-hand combat, you know, any kind of wire work. And so it's this really kind of great thing when you see it cut together with editorial is that you're kind of hopping between storyboards and pre-viz and stunt viz and and you're basically, you know, and I think that's kind of the, the secret of the of the Russos is that they're they're kind of going in and pulling the best from the different groups. So we all, you know, we all kind of see what the other group has done, and we always want to try to beat what they've done. So you'll go through a couple of iterative cycles on that, and then kind of pick, pick the best gags, and then what you're doing, you know, that'll then be your blueprint for what you go back out and shoot. What would you say is kind of the biggest challenge besides just having so many characters? Have you have you been involved with some of the scenes where we're seeing like a younger version of Tony and, and some of those scenes like that? Well, it's an interesting thing. It's 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 it's, it's difficult for a couple reasons. It's one, you know, one of the processes. You know, you definitely want to keep the characters' performance right, so you can. And so when you're like de aging them or or aging them, it's important that no matter what you do the performance still is able to come through. And so what we try to do with that is we'll, we'll start with, you know, with the, 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 your actor. And then what we're able to do then is if you're, if you're aging them or de-aging them, what you'll do is you'll either have like an old age double or like a, a younger double, right? So you'll have the actor will run the scene and then you'll bring the other the double in and shoot the scene and they'll, they'll try to match the performance as best they can because what we're going to do is then is take the information and the doubles so if it's like if you're aging them it's like the liver spots and the wrinkles and then you know kind of the any kind of imperfections of the skin from getting older and you're going to basically map that image onto the actor's performance and so you're in the process of kind of waiting, you know, how much to that image you digitally graft onto their performance. So if you do it in a way that, you know, gets too heavy, you're going to kind of take away from what the performance was. But what's really great about that is that you can control it. And so they're not really kind of trying to 
push their performance through any kind of makeup or, or, you know, we do use like makeup on the neck and around the eyes, but we can actually, you know, change their silhouette in the case of them getting older. We can, you know, actually shrink their features as it would happen when you get older. That would be a little bit more difficult to do. So we're, we're constantly trying to use, you know, the best aspects of all the different technologies. So like we'll use makeup for the neck and we'll use a little bit of makeup around the eyes, but then for the cheeks, we need to kind of bring them in and make great crepes so I can just cheeks as they're older. Um, we can do that and kind of have the best of both worlds uh, with, um, but the other interesting component about that, you know, and that's, it's a little simpler with the, with the de-aging is that you have the complexity of keeping performance, but then you also have the complexity of seeing what someone looks like when they're older. So if you do, if you do Michael Douglas and de-age him, you can go back and say, especially with, with some with an actor like Michael Douglas, he's got this, you know, vast catalog of, 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 of films and, and TV he's been in. So if you do, you know, we, we've talked about ADH and Michael Douglas, it's like, do you want Michael Douglas from Romancing the Stone or do you want Michael Douglas from Streets of San Francisco? And so he asked the directors, and they would want Michael Douglas from Streets of San Francisco. And it's like, okay, great. So you just go and you, you know what Michael Douglas looks like from the Streets of San Francisco, and you can match that. But when you're taking someone older, then you don't have that reference anymore, right? You're kind of you're extrapolating on what you think they would look like, and and what happens at that point, yeah, was we with the team that worked with at Lola, they you know they've studied that a lot. They know what's going to happen to a person when he gets older. But what what happens is you start people's you know, everyone involved in the creative process has an idea of what it looks a person looks like when they get older and they start applying like well this is what my grandmother looked like or this is what my grandfather looked like and so it becomes a much more of a subjective thing when you're when you're aging someone so it's something when we got into it it was you didn't you know the heart in our brains the hard part was just making them look older <laughs> but then it, one of the, the more you know the other difficult aspect was that it's like making you know kind of realizing what that you know the conceptualizing what it would look like when cap is that age and then factoring in that he's a super soldier and things like that as well you know kind of sorting that out so you know so as a fan of these movies it definitely feels like we're like at the pinnacle of the visual effects what do you see from your perspective or what do you hope to see in the future what do you where do you see us going with effects i think we're you know we're you know, there's an iterative process, right? So it's like, you know, it, you know, creativity will drive technology and technology drives creativity, right? So you're, you're kind of at this point now where you're, you know, you've got a generation of artists that have kind of grown up on the tools. And so, you know, the, the, you know, the tools are, are not really, you know, I kind of kind of impediment or roadblock into their creativity. So you're, you're seeing, you know, some amazing work, you're seeing an amazing animation, you're seeing amazing lighting. And so, as the as the technology improves, then you know that just allows us to do that much more and how we you know light scenes and, and render scenes and kind of create that photorealism. Um, kind of on the future, then you've got kind of the next kind of, kind of component that's being factored in. It's kind of machine learning, where you're you're using computer software and letting the software basically learn. You know, you're you're using it for um, we used it for Thanos, where you're with the you know, the software to actually look at how Josh Brolin moved and all the little small movements in his face, and kind of the more data you gave it, the better it got at solving you know 
Roland's performance because we would actually put dots on his face and and then that software would then figure out how the dots were moving and how best to apply it to the actual digital character of Thanos. And so you're kind of seeing the future where, you know, the the principles with it, and this is kind of what they were saying, a digital domain, the company I work with, if you're not if not using machine learning, you're doing it wrong. So because you're 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 teaching the software to you know, give you better facial capture that you can put on your digital character. You can, you know, take the software and say, okay, this is, you know, give, give it data for what real explosions look like. And so instead of just using strictly the math of like a simulation of how explosion works, you can now show and say, hey, as you're solving for it, this is the correct solution. And so this is what you should drive for. And so you're actually able to, you know, get better looking effects more quickly than you were able to do in the past. And I think that's that's kind of like the future for us, I think, which will, you know, kind of speed us up because, you know, it's the iteration is kind of what allows us to perfect them. And the faster we can iterate and the faster we can get to the kind of the end goal with something making something, you know, creatively correct and realistic. You know, I think that 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 is going to actually help us get there much faster and, and produce better looking effects. I can tell you're you know a fan of this. You're enthusiastic about the work. Um, is there any advice you would pass along to someone who wants to be get into your field, or any advice you wish you had early on in your career? Well, for me, I think it's something that it's it's something that I always wanted to do, right? And I think it's something that you know when you get into it, you're going to. At least now, it's like when I started it, you could be much more of a generalist. You know, it was pretty much you know. You would do animation. You would do lighting. You would do compositing. It was, you know, it was kind of the, the kind of state of the of the game back then. But now, when you come into it, you know, it's something that you're to you're going to want to focus on an area. You're going to want to, you know, make it, you know, choose, and you know, you can experiment with the dis- discipline. There's still general generalists out there, but you're going to want to focus. You want to be an animator if you want to be like, like a lighter, you know. So you're. And in animation, you know, there's lots of great tools out there. They have, um, like Maya, you can kind of get student copies where you can actually, you know, use it at home and learn how to work with it. And, you know, in animation, you're going to look at, you know, in the real in the real world, you're going to look at how things move. You're going to watch animals and, you know, see how, how the weight is distributed across their, their feet when they walk and, and, and that thing like that. You know, if you're doing lighting, you're going to want to pay attention to, like, you know, how you know, light bounces and, you know, look at sunsets, look at, you know, light inside or outside, just kind of understand the, the, the physicality of it. You know, the, you know, you don't have to understand all the science of it, but you have to have a feel for how you, you want that to work. And so, again, there's a lot of great tools that you can kind of um, you can kind of learn with now. Um, it's something that you'll, you'll kind of want to study that discipline, you know, if you can go to art school for that that'll help as well if you want to be a coder that's another form of, of art as well if you want to write software and the tools that go with it but i think it's something that you know you have to be prepared to you know it, it will be a big part of your life so you want to make sure that you love it because it, you're going to work a lot of long hours uh you know kind of being a part of the business and, and kind of getting the shows through the house so you, you definitely want to you definitely have to know that it's going to be you know it's it's a you know, it's a, it's a passion. It's not a job. And so you have to have the passion for it and really enjoy it to make sure you're happy with it, I think. Thank you for tuning into this show. If this is your first time listening, please log on to iTunes or SoundCloud and give us a rating. 
providing a rating or sharing content is one of the best ways to help the series grow. Make sure to also follow or like us on your favorite platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or the new YouTube series we've started. And check for daily updates over at creativeprinciples.live.